Smartcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Get Real with Dr. Renee. With her extensive experience as a double CEO, therapist, and renowned treatment specialist, Dr. Calvert's approach to recovery and emotional freedom is unique and diverse. Dr. Calvert's innovative and unfiltered perspective sheds light on the importance of being human and encourages guests and listeners to get real. Joined by Bindi Hyde, producer, coach, and founder of Ethical Change Agency on a mission to spread collective change, understanding that it starts with us. It's time to get real. In this episode, we get real with special guest Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee, joining us from the UK. Dr. Laurie Beth is a GSRD, Gender Sex Relationship Diversity Therapist, sex and intimacy coach and psychologist whose expertise lies in working with individuals, couples and groups to explore their sexuality, gender and relationship styles, discover a deeper level of sexual congruence heal from past trauma, as well as create more meaningful, pleasurable, exciting and authentic intimate relationships. Lori Beth helps us understand that doing the work with trauma doesn't mean it takes a lifetime to learn to love life again. One of the things that uh, we've always uh, talked about when we get together is is trauma and um, how we help others through it. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that you both cover as trauma specialists is um, helping people to get past their triggers and, and stop reliving the past um, and actually getting on with living their life and having fun. So, uh, Laurie Beth, what are some of the t- things that you do to help people through those, um, those traumas? Well, I use a couple of different trauma-specific methods um, to help people get through trauma. One of them is called traumatic incident reduction. I co-authored a book on that a million years ago. It is one of my favorites because um, it works with most people, um, but it's intense. And I always tell people that trauma work is hard work, right? And then you finish it. So my goal um, is that people move through the work to the point where they don't have active triggers. And whatever they came with is now in the past. And I give people the example, you know, we can, I can ask you, you know, can you remember an exam you took when you were in school that you were quite anxious about? And most people can find one. And until I ask them about, I say, can you tell me about it? They'll tell me about it, but they're not panicking like they were at the time of the exam, right? They're not upset like they were at the time of the exam. They'll say, well, if you're really anxious and really upset, why aren't you upset now? Well, that was in the past. So if that can be in the past, why do we believe 
that any other trauma can't be in the past? Why do we believe there's something special about things that we would normally label catastrophic that means that they cannot be finished? You know, I think that's such a valid and important point because I think that for my clients and, and for just many people in general, I think it, I think there's a misconception that to not hold on to the triggers, to not, to not embrace them and hold on to them and almost cherish them in a way is to discredit them. It's as though holding on to them is to say, this was meaningful. This happened to me and I'm giving it validity and importance by holding on to it. Because if I let it go, it feels as though I am, it feels as though I'm, I'm giving it less importance in my life than it should. And the reality of the situation is the opposite is true. It's something to, it is extremely important, but it's something to move through. It's not holding on to the trauma. It's holding on to the experience of moving through the trauma and realizing who you can be and are today, that that's the gift at the end is, is what, what we, the experience that we created out of something that was catastrophic and what we learned about ourselves and our resiliency, that's, that's what we hold on to. We are not our trauma. And I think for a lot of trauma survivors, it feels as though to move through it, to get to the other side of it is to say, well, that wasn't really that important then. And no, you're, you are not your trauma. That doesn't define you. There's a lot of importance and a lot of pride in, in survival, you know, all, all kinds of different survival, you know, whether you're a cancer survivor, um, you're a rape survivor, you're an incest survivor, you are, you know, you're a survivor of anything traumatic right? The idea is there's so much pride that we take in survival. There's more on the other side than just surviving. Yeah. I mean, for me, one of the things, one of the first talks I gave around this was called from victim to survivor to beyond. Yes. And the idea that being a survivor has such cachet because no, because people can't imagine that there is something beyond because they're told there isn't something beyond. I remember being told that I was gonna to have to manage my trauma and that you know I would get to a point where my trauma was manageable, where my symptoms were manageable. And I remember looking at the therapist and saying, I don't want manageable symptoms. I want no symptoms. Are you telling me I have to live with this, that this can't be finished? And, and unfortunately, and then that was, um, that was in the eighties, and then um, people started to think that you could finish things for a while. And now we have, everybody's being diagnosed with complex PTSD now. And, and, and again, we're talking about managing it and we're focusing it on permanent neurological changes that means that people can manage things. And so we're sticking people in a survivor place without the understanding that actually they can get through it and then have life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the important bit. You can have a life after this with that in your past, which doesn't diminish what it was or the intensity or the significance. I mean, um, for me, I tell people, you know, when it's over, when you stop wishing it never happened and it's yeah. just a part of your past. 
I don't wish anything that I've been through never happened. I don't think if only I could have blah, blah, blah. This is the way my life developed. And I've learned so much and gained so much and become the person I am, not only because of the positive experiences that I've had, but also because of the catastrophic experiences that I've survived. And so one of the things I learned was I can survive and I can survive anything. Once I learned that, that became a skill I had, not a place to stand. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that because one of the other errors I think that that many of us can make in going through the trauma process is believing that we prove to ourselves how strong we are and that we have made it through by subjecting ourselves to the same situations repeatedly to show ourselves how strong we are, that I'm over it. I got over it. So I'm going to enter the same situation to show myself that I am now over it. No, the idea is I'm, it's not, I'm so strong. I'm going to now re-traumatize myself to show myself how strong I am. The idea is I'm so strong. I now know how to protect myself, how not to expose myself to those things, not because I'm triggered constantly, but because I've learned that I don't need to prove to myself or anyone else that I'm over it by re-experiencing it. It's there being, being over it means to get exactly as you put it before, the beyond. And why in the world would we ask people to do this work? This is hard work. Happiness is hard work. Happiness, self-love, self-worth, all of that comes with hard work. And it's a daily practice. It's not, it's a daily practice. Why would I ask somebody to join me on the journey of digging deep and, and opening wounds to, that have to be opened in order to be cleaned out? It's a painful experience. It's also a cleansing experience. And why would I ask someone to do that if there was never a beyond? That's like asking somebody to come live in a sewer. And I'm not interested in helping people, you know, experience trauma as something that they live and breathe. It's like, you know, let's let's take you down this journey of digging deep and you're just going to keep digging There's never an end to the digging, you know, which is very different than to say that working on ourselves never stops, but the working on yourself is fun. It's, it's, it's supposed to be that eventually being your best self feels like embracing joy feels like it's not, it's not work to love yourself. It's, it's, it's work to prioritize yourself. It's work to find those moments and to have those boundaries that means that your self-care is important and it's a continual reminder to yourself that you are worthy. Um, are, we, we naturally don't go there all the time. You know, it's so easy to put ourselves last on the list, but Absolutely. It's, it, the idea of it though is if you're going to experience something like this and get to the other side of it, then get to the reward. The reward, yeah, the reward is you're free. The sad yeah. part is that so often people don't get to the reward and they get um they get to this place where they've 
they they come into me telling me they they don't need to work on their trauma because they they they're done with it. I mean, that's usually what happens. Um, because I specialize in sex and relationships, and also um, in alternative relationship styles, a lot of people will come to me for that. I also specialize in trauma, so I do get people who are coming straight for the trauma. But about a third of the people who come for relationship work, I take a history and I'm like, yeah, this is what you need to be working on. Because I don't see the point of not flagging it up. And they'll, I'll get, well, I've had therapy and, and I know how to manage that now. Mm-hmm. I see. So what do you mean when you say you know how to manage it? Well, I know how to manage my triggers. I avoid these things. And I, you know, when this happens, I have the self-soothing skills and these things. And I'm like, yeah, well, if you're still having to manage it, it's not finished. And that's common sense. And yet they look at me like I have, you know, grown an extra limb or, you know, got an eye in the middle of my forehead or something, something strange, because they've just been told that it's not possible to, to get to any other place. So I'll say, well, I'm willing to work with you on it. But then, you know, we're not talking about um, doing an hour a week for the next X number of years. Now we're going to do this in a relatively short period of time. I prefer when people work with me intensively. I prefer when they commit, they're willing to commit a week to me and we, that's all we do. And then we reassess where they are at the end of the week or, uh, or they're willing to do a couple of sessions a week, which will probably end up being a couple of hours at a time because of the mm-hmm. way I work. So that you're actually doing something chunky. So the world doesn't have a chance to trigger every other box while we're in the middle, you mm-hmm. know, and lets us finish things and move to the next thing. Um, but people don't want to commit to that because they've been told that they'll be re-traumatized by talking about it and digging deep and looking deep when actually they're being re-traumatized by doing this drip feeding thing where, you know, they talk for 20 minutes about the trauma once a week and the rest of the time they're pulling themselves back together. I think that the way you just talked about how you set up your sessions, and by the way, uh, we haven't discussed this before, but I do the exact same thing. Um, the chunking and the the digging deep and the really, you know, that 50 minute hour or whatever the case may be, it just can't apply to things like this. Um, you can't, I liken it to someone being on a surgery table and, you know, then saying, okay, uh, we're just going to have you get up and walk now, you know, and, you know, you have to, you have to be skilled and you have to know that you're leaving someone in a safe place and that they're closed up and they're safe until your next meeting when you're, when, when it's a deliberate choice to go back in and reopen and then safely close and knowing how to safely close. So that's not dripping all over your life when that session is over, because as we know, the therapy sinks in and really takes effect after the session, not in the session. It's what our, it's what our brains and bodies continue to do once we're done talking to harken back to something you said a few moments ago about the talking about it. When someone says, you know, I've done therapy before, I've done this before, oftentimes what they're, ta- what they're saying is, I've talked about my trauma before. I've had my, I've, I've spoken to a professional and I've had this identified as trauma. Someone has told me, oh, those things that happened to you are traumas. 
this is your diagnosis, complex PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder, attachment disorder, whatever the case may be. This is your diagnosis. It's a result of the trauma that you've been through. Um, knowing, identifying trauma is step one. Talking about it, owning it, having a narrative about it, being able to discuss it. Yeah, that, that's essential. That's not the work. The work no, is not in discussing the trauma. Well, they don't understand also that, you know, that you've, I always say this, you just have to get out all the stuff that, that is in there, right? So you're going to talk to me about it. And if you're not going to cry when you feel like crying, we're going to be here for a really long time. Because I need you to contact whatever's there. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter to me. I don't have a preconceived notion about how, what you're going to bring or how you're going to bring it. And it also may not end up being the thing you think it is. Like you've had this little box put around a trauma and that's the way you think about it. You've had your diagnosis and you've had talked with somebody about it. But we may start talking and something else might come up as we're talking. And I need you to tell me about that. Two, I need to know whatever comes to your mind because that tells me where to go. So I say, look, I'm the technician here, right? I'm holding that space for you. I'm mm -hmm. asking you questions. I'm acknowledging what you say. I'm not interpreting it. I'm not judging you. I'm pointing you in directions based on what you tell me. So if you're not telling me, then I might go down a rabbit hole. And right. You know, you don't, we don't want to do that because it's a waste of your time and money and energy. Well, right? I think what you're, I think what you're saying is so very important because oftentimes I think as clinicians, we can be perceived as, and, and some of us perceive ourselves as being in the driver's seat um, of a client's life, that, that we're in the driver's seat and the client is the passenger. No, the client is the driver. The person is the driver. And the most important sessions I think I've ever had, I know also never come in with a preconceived notion, but some of the most important sessions I've ever had is when someone starts out saying to me, I don't really have anything to talk about today. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not really, I, yeah, I just, nothing really is going on for me or whatever. Well, and then, and then bam, it's like, okay, you know, something that to them seems totally left field unrelated. It's like, really? There's nothing to talk about today. Interesting, you know? And so it, it's so amazing how our brain is designed to protect us, right? We go in believing there's nothing to talk about because subconsciously we know that if we just let ourselves go and free our minds and free the judgment, we might actually talk ourselves into the truth and relate something, you know, something that seems totally unrelated is absolutely related. Yeah. I'm amazed how often that happens, but also to say to people, look, some of it's because we as humans think in terms of events, but sometimes it's the themes that connect things, not the events. So if I say to you, if you, if you ever had something like this happen before, if you're not telling me whatever comes to mind, you might be intellectually going, you know, if you, let's say you're talking about a rape intellectually going, well, I've never been raped before. Therefore, no, I haven't. Mm -hmm. Right. But what comes to your mind is an, is an incident where you were humiliated when you were four. 
Yes. That isn't sexual. Right. But right. you were humiliated. It's connected because you felt humiliated. It doesn't matter. It's connected. And we need to look at that as well because it's connected. And so if you're getting rid of the emotion, stored emotion, charged emotion, however you want to refer to it, if you're getting rid of all of that, you're going to need to get rid of all of that from the, from the theme, everything that comes to mind before you're able to let go of the whole thing. And, you know, I, I think the very notion of actually the intentionality behind letting somebody know from the get-go that the intentionality of the work is that we work now because we're going to play later yeah. and for the rest of our life. And, and the, idea, the idea is going into the therapeutic process with that in mind the idea that there is an end, the idea yeah. that there is that you can yeah. heal. And that you're, and I, I mean, the number of times I say to people, I don't work with people long term. I tell people that now. Why? Mm -hmm. Because for the, for the most part, I don't. I've got one, two long term clients right now. One is doing a personal development thing that they're going to do forever. They're going to have me. They'll go and they'll come back forever because they like me as their sounding board for personal development. Sure. Right? That's different. And one is in transition. Understandably, this is longer term work because transition is a long process and they started the transition while they were with me. And so that makes sense. So that's a long-term client. But everybody else, I tell them upfront, I don't work with people usually for more than eight months. If I have my way and I can talk them into making the investment now, instead of spreading it out over a long period of time, I work with them in short blocks mm -hmm. and then they go away. They may never come back. Sometimes people come back when other things come up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but um, state dependent learning is a thing that I find fascinating. And what that is, is that in some state dependent memory, I, I mean, so in some situations, we only remember and have access to the memories that go with that state. And people talk about this a lot in terms of substances. Mm -hmm. um, so it, if you've ever been drunk, there will be things that you can remember when you're drunk that you don't remember when you're sober. And it's quite bizarre. People can pick up a conversation they were having the last time they saw you when they were drunk. Yes. And if you actually spoke to them sober, they have no memory of any of it, but they can pick it up the next time they're drunk. But there's a lot of things, things that do this. So for example, pregnancy can bring up all sorts of memories that a woman had no access to prior to that. So they couldn't do the therapeutic work until either they decided to try to get pregnant or they did get pregnant. And suddenly all the stuff around mothering is really accessible in a way it was never before. So that's why people come back because something new has come up or there was a trigger we didn't get because they didn't have access to it at the time. So sure, I warn sure. people, you might need to come back and don't worry if you feel like a bit of it's come back. It isn't the whole thing. We, we just missed a branch of the tree and a root. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. So they're willing to do that. But the idea is that I'm not going to, I'm not going to have them for five years, six years, 10 years, that's not what's necessary for them to heal and go and have a life. And that that's what I want for them. I want them to go and have a life and have joy and fun that, and 
live in a way that doesn't involve being careful all the time to not set off the explosions under their feet. Thank you for tuning in to Get Real with Dr. Ronay. If you've loved the show and would like to experience coaching with coaches like Dr. Ronay or Bindi through Live Treatment Concierge Services, visit livetreatmentvip.com. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.